Sermon 43 of The Sermons Upon the Epistle of St. Paul to the Ephesians by John Calvin, translated by Arthur Golding. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Children, obey your fathers and mothers in the Lord, for that is right. Honour thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment in promise, that thou mayest fare well and be long-lived upon earth. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but nourish them up in the nurture and warnings of the Lord. Our resorting unto sermons must be not only to hear the things that we knew not, but also to be stirred up to do our duty, and to be wakened, when we be slothful and drowsy, by good and holy warnings, and to be rebuked, if there be any stubbornness and malice in us. And that is the thing which St. Paul telleth us here, which every of us ought to have engraven in our hearts. For it is a thing which all of us understand by our mother wit, that children ought to be obedient and subject to their fathers and mothers, and also that there ought to be such gentleness in those that have children to govern, as to use them mildly and not to give them cause of frowardness through their over-great roughness. This, say I, is known well enough of all men, but yet is not the warning that is given us here more than needeth. For who is he that dischargeth himself of the things that are told us here by St. Paul? Fathers and mothers do diverse times mar their children with cockering them, and make them such cockneys as they lead them to utter undoing. Again, sometimes they be in such collars and heats with them, without measure or discretion, that they have no hold of themselves, nor no indifferent dealing with them as there ought to be. As for children, although it be sufficiently proved to them that they ought to be obedient and subject to their parents, Doth not the world see how they despise them, and as it were hold utter scorn of them? Neither are there almost any which hold themselves in awe, and yield a right reverence to their fathers and mothers, in respect that God hath bound them to it, and that they ought to do it. Therefore, since we see here that St. Paul exhorteth the faithful to things that are so common, therein we may perceive the frowardness of our own nature. For these are such things as we ought not to be put in mind of them, but every of us ought to be inclined of himself to do his duty without warning. God's Spirit then rebuketh us for being so fleshly, that although we know a thing to be as rightful as may be, yet we cannot give ourselves to it. Wherefore let us endeavour to fight against our own vices, for it is not enough for us to have learned what we ought to do, but also, for as much as there is much fighting and striving in ourselves against it, after we once know God's will, and what is righteous and convenient, every of us must enter into himself, and beware that he draw not clean back, but that he imprison and bridle himself, and bear well in mind that it is not enough for him to have been instructed and taught, unless he do also thrust forth himself by force, and subdue all his wicked affections, how hard soever it be to bring it to pass. Now let us come to that which is said here. Ye children, saith St. Paul, obey your fathers and mothers. True it is that, as St. Paul alleges afterward, God hath in his law set down a more general term, that is to wit, honour. For God meant to do us to understand that children ought to yield both subjection and reverence to their fathers and mothers. For such a one might yield obedience and subjection, as might nevertheless have a spiteful, a proud, and a lofty heart, and despise the party whom he serveth. But when, as our Lord commandeth us to honour our fathers and mothers, thereunder he meaneth to comprehend reverence, and moreover a performance of all duty, that is to wit, that children should understand that they be bound to serve their fathers and mothers, and to be subject to them in all things to the uttermost of their power. 
You see then that generally God will have children not only to be obedient and subject to their parents, but also to yield them reverence and, moreover, to do their duty towards them, in succoring them and in doing them all the ease and comfort that they can, assuring themselves that they be not their own, nor at their own liberty, but that they owe all service unto them by whose means they came into the world. And St. Paul saith expressly, in the Lord, meaning that there is a double bond to hold us in this subjection. For first, there is the order of nature, and again God telleth us that he hath set us in this earthly life with condition that fathers and mothers should have superiority over their children. The heathen men shall not fail to be found guilty, though they had not the law to direct them, nor were taught the doctrine which we hear now by the mouth of St. Paul. Insomuch that if a child were stubborn against his father and mother among the heathen, he was, as it were, abhorred, and there was neither great nor small which could not judge of it. Neither shall they escape God's hand, since they be condemned already in this world, for, as I said afore, it is a thing that is graven in the hearts of us all, and also as manifest as may be. Howbeit, besides that we know naturally, God addeth his own will, for a further and more ample confirmation, and telleth us that he hath so ordained and appointed it, and therefore that we must pass that way. Then, since we perceive that God holdeth us under awe of our fathers and mothers, it is certain that we be so much the more unexcusable, if every of us submit not himself with meekness and humility. And they that have followed the order of nature among the heathen, and poor blind souls, shall be our judges. For who hath stirred them up thereunto? They had not the helps that we have, and yet they performed their duty. That then is the thing which St. Paul intended in saying that children ought to obey their fathers and mothers in the Lord. Now he addeth that that is right, as if he should say, No man shall gain anything by striving in this behalf. For we know that man's mind is so full fraught with pride, as there is no man but he would be a lord. As for subjection, it irketh men to yield to it, until our Lord hath framed us to it by his Holy Spirit. And for that cause also is the Spirit of God called the Spirit of meekness and gentleness. And why? Because pride maketh men like wild beasts, and puffeth them up like toads, so as they cannot humble themselves. St. Paul, therefore, perceiving that this vice is so rooted in our nature, and minding to redress it, showeth that it is right, and that it becometh every man to employ himself thereunto. And that, although there be any such sturdiness in us, as will not suffer us to be subject to our superiors, yet this rightfulness of God's, that is to say, the rule that he hath set, must overweigh it. For when he saith it is right or rightful, he bringeth us back to God's authority. As if he should say, Seeing God hath said the word, there is no further scanning of the matter, but men must stop their mouths, and seeing God hath commanded it, men must obey it, assuring themselves that his will is a sure and infallible rule, for the which it is not lawful to swerve neither to the right side nor to the left. And it is a good warning, for we see that although men were willing to do well, and had some good zeal towards it, yet will every of us be wise in his own conceit, and when it cometh to the guiding and governing of ourselves, we will needs bear sway above the word of God. Forasmuch then as men are so fond and presumptuous as to attribute somewhat continually to their own wit, it standeth us the more on hand to mark well what is said here, that is to wit that we must have the discretion and skill to perceive what God commandeth and alloweth, and likewise what he disalloweth. Have we then a warrant of God's will? We must be contented with it. And if he once say, This pleaseth me, then it is rightful, though we perceive not the reason of it. 
again, if there be some hardness, yet let us not ask why, neither let us reply against God, when he condemneth a thing that seemeth not to be utterly evil in our eyes. Let us, say I, beware of such malapertness and devilish rashness, and let us follow that which St. Paul telleth us here, that is to wit, that all that ever God hath uttered by his word is rightful, and that we also must avow it to be so without gainsaying. For the true proof of our faith and obedience is that when we think that this or that ought not to have been commanded or forbidden, yet we accept it for good and available, because God hath spoken it. Now hereupon St. Paul alleggeth the commandment of the law, Honour thy father and thy mother, and again he addeth further that it is the first commandment of promise, as if he should say that God intended to bring us by all means to the subjection which we should yield to our fathers and mothers. It ought to suffice us that it is acceptable to God, but seeing he allureth us moreover by gentleness, and will not fray us with authority and force, but promiseth to prosper us in serving our fathers and mothers, that ought to make us to like the better of our subjection. Therefore St. Paul, having showed us that we must be subject to our fathers and mothers, except we will be rebels to God, and bend our horns against him, and turn all right and order upside down, addeth, that we shall be too too hard-hearted and willful stubborn, if after God's commanding of us this promise of his move us not, whereby he intendeth to induce us so graciously to do the thing that he willeth us. And if surely we be not moved, yea, and even meekened by it, it may well be said that the devil reigneth wholly in us, and that he possesseth our hearts. His saying, then, is that it is a commandment which hath a special promise, and so hath none other commandment of the law but that. The promise is that we shall live long upon the earth, yea, and in prosperity, because God will bless us if we honour those that were the means whereby we came into the world. And on the other side he showeth what the duty of fathers and mothers is towards their children, that is to wit, to entreat them gently, not to pardon them altogether, or to lay the bridle in their necks, and to let them do what they list, but to deal so mildly with them, as they do not in any wise put them out of heart, as it is said in another place, but nourish them in the fear of God. By this word nourish, St. Paul meaneth that they should deal gently with them, and show themselves loving towards them. Howbeit this word is also sourced, as you would say, with nurture and correction of God. Then is there on the one side nourishment, that is to say kindness and gentleness, and on the other side chastisement and discipline, that children may be held in awe, and not be suffered to be wanton and unruly, but so brought up in the fear of God, as they may know that God hath not left them awless and lawless, but that he hath given them overseers to rule their life. This is the effect of the thing that St. Paul showeth us here. Now to the intent we may have the fuller and certain understanding of this text, we must mark, first of all, that, to speak properly, we have no father but only God." True it is, that now and then he is called the father of our souls and of our spirits, according as he is spoken of in the epistle to the Hebrews. Howbeit, even as in respect of the flesh also, the honour and dignity of bearing the name of father belongeth not to any mortal creature, for it is God that fashioneth us, as it is said in the book of Job. Is the seed of man, which is but corruption, able to fashion a body, wherein appeareth so excellent workmanship of God? No. Then let us understand that forasmuch as our bodies are all of them records of God's wonderful power, he only deserveth to be held and accounted as our Father. Yet for all that, they also that beget us, and by whom we be brought into this world, are our fathers. 
by what title, because God hath vouchsafed to make them partakers of the honour that belongeth to himself alone. And hereby we be put in mind that in striving against our fathers and mothers we make war against God, for he hath imprinted his mark in them, and that title of theirs doth us to wit, that God hath set them, as it were, in his place. Therefore we must hold it for an undoubted truth, that in honouring our fathers and mothers, we yield God the service that he requireth of us, and which we owe him. And contrarywise, if we despise our fathers and mothers, and hold scorn to do our duties towards them, God is expressly offended in it, not only because we break the commandment of his law, but also because we despise his majesty, whereof our fathers and mothers do bear a certain mark, as I have said afore. And that is the cause why there is so rigorous punishment in the law against them that were disobedient to their fathers and mothers, that whosoever had despised his father or mother, or uttered any cursing against them, or done them any harm, should be stoned to death. Therefore, when children be so far out of square as to set light by their fathers and mothers, God will have them dispatched out of the world, for they be monsters and an infection to defile the whole earth. Also, he will not have any long examination for such as lift up themselves against their fathers and mothers. But if the father and mother have once given this witness, behold, this our son will not be amended. By and by thereupon let him be stoned, saith he and let the world be rid of such an infection. God's saying so is to show us that it is too to outrageous and horrible a crime when children cannot find in their hearts to yield submission to their fathers and mothers, for it is all one as if they were full bent to abolish the whole order of nature. That therefore is the end that we must begin at to profit ourselves well by this doctrine. And the same also is the cause why St. Paul saith that we ought to be subject to our fathers and mothers in God, meaning thereby that the thing which the pagans and unbelievers conceive darkly ought to be much better known unto us. For the pagans wit not well how to yield a reason why children ought to yield this subjection and obedience to their fathers and mothers, saving that it appeared that there is a certain equity and right that required it, and that that was the reason. But as for to come to this ground of the matter, that God is our Father, and that he requireth this subjection at our hands, that could they not do. And why? For they knew not whether there were a God that created and fashioned them, or no. But we which know that God, who is our Creator, is also our Father, and that to be so belongeth unto him, and that he hath reserved that honour and dignity to himself, and again, that he will have fathers and mothers to be also partakers of that privilege, we must of necessity conclude that we ought to obey our fathers and mothers, yea, even in God, as though he received at our hands the honour and service which we do to them that represent his person and majesty here, as I said afore, which is despised in the stubbornness and disobedience of children to their fathers and mothers. Here again I must put you in mind of a thing that I spake of afore, that is to wit, that when God's will is once known to us, we must bridle ourselves short, and not take leave to reply against God, and to ask why God liketh this, or disliketh that, but admit his will as the sovereign righteousness and equity. And where shall we find that will of his? In his word. For when St. Paul intendeth to prove God's will, he soareth not in the air above the clouds, but bringeth and alleggeth the things that are contained in the law. So then, to rule our life aright, let us apply our whole minds to seek out the things that are pleasant and acceptable to God, as he showeth them in his law, in the prophets and in the gospel. That is all our wisdom. 
and let us beware of the overboldness which I said was devilish, which is to be wise in our own conceits, and to say, how should this be, why should that be? But let us simply obey our God. Furthermore, here is also a promise. Indeed, a question might be moved here, why St. Paul saith it is the first commandment of promise, seeing there is a promise added likewise to the second commandment of the law. For there it is said, I am the Lord, which do show mercy in a thousand generations to such as love me and keep my commandments. Here is a much larger promise than that whereof mention is made in this text. And how then doth St. Paul say that it is the first commandment with promise? The answer is easy, for God's promising of mercy to a thousand generations in the first table is not a restraint of it to that only commandment, but an extending of it to the whole law, as if he should say, there is nothing better for you than to submit yourselves to my will, for otherwise you will be in a cursed plight. And for proof thereof, do not all things that you can hope for come to you of mine only free goodness. Now for my part I will not fail such as serve me, and seek to honour me, but they shall find continually that I am a merciful God. Herein, as I said afore, our Lord's intent is to draw us to the obeying of his commandments and ordinances with a willing mind, and so it is no special promise proper to any one commandment alone. But the promise that St. Paul speaketh of here, where it is said, Honour thy father and mother, that thou mayest live long upon the earth, is peculiar to that commandment alone. As if he should say, God is so gracious that he will cause them to prosper through his blessing and favour, which behave themselves humbly and meekly, and yield due reverence to their fathers and mothers. Not without cause, therefore, doth St. Paul say that it is the first commandment with promise, namely with such promise as is special, and hath respect to none other commandment than that. Now let us come to the promise. God saith that such as obey so shall live long. Hereupon we may gather that this present life is not to be despised because it is a record of God's fatherly goodness and love towards us. And in good sooth it is no small thing that God vouchsafeth to create us and to set us in this world, not only to live here as brute beasts, but also to reign as his children, and to have dominion over all other creatures. It is said that his goodness and mercy extend even to asses, oxen, and horses. And why? For when he maketh the earth to bear hay for cattle, doth he not therein show a wonderful goodness towards the poor brute beasts, as I said afore? But there is a far other reason in respect of us. For how enjoy we all the goods and riches whereof the earth is full? God hath poured out his bountifulness, in that the earth bringeth us forth such a sort of sundry fruits. Yea, we cannot look up to heavenward, high nor low, but we may perceive a thousand, yea, infinite records of God's goodness. To what end shineth the sun but to give us light? And are not the moon and the stars ordained to do us service? And yet are they as noble creatures as may be, insomuch that the heathen folk worshipped them, thinking that there was some Godhead enclosed in them. Again, when we look downward, we see what good things God hath appointed for our use. And although he feed the beasts, yet in the end all redoundeth to us, according as St. Paul speaketh of them, saying, Hath God a care of the beasts? That is to say, when as God vouchsafeth to succour the beasts in their need by his providence, he doth it for men's sakes, seeing then that God hath harboured us after such a sort to make us possess so many good things, besides his creating of us after his own image and likeness, is it not an inestimable benefit? So then, this present life is not to be held scorn of, 
but there is yet more. God hath set us here, as it were, in a journey to come to a further matter, that is to wit, to the everlasting rest and to the heritage of heaven. Then, if this present life guide us thither, that is to say, to the glory which God hath prepared for us, and which was purchased for us by the death and passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, thereby we see that it is a great benefit and meet to be esteemed at our hands. True it is that there are so many miseries in our life that it were much better for us never to have been born than to linger continually as we do. Therefore, if a man consider how wretched our life is in itself, and to what a number of griefs, anguishes, pains, and vexations it is subject, surely he will say, it were better never to have come out of my mother's womb than to enter into such a sea of confusion as we see upon earth. Nevertheless, when all cometh to all, we shall find that God's goodness exceedeth all the chastisements that he sendeth us for our sins. This life should of itself be nothing but happiness and rest, if God made us not to reap the fruit of our sins and transgressions. Yet notwithstanding, when, as God doth now and then afflict us with some barrenness, or kill our vines with frost, or drown our corn with wet, or parch it up with drought, or, to be short, send us famine and dearth, they be as a rod of God, to show us that, instead of our former liberality, he is now become contrary to us. Likewise are the plague, war, particular diseases and sicknesses, harms, reproaches, and all other such things as work us grief or displeasure. They are all chastisements, whereby God putteth us in mind of our sins and faults, of purpose to humble us, that we might know what we be, and finally to make us ready to forsake the world the more willingly. Howbeit, when we have gathered all the afflictions, troubles, and griefs that we see into one heap, yet we see well, as I said afore, that God maketh us to feel the taste and savour of his goodness, in that he giveth us sustenance in this world. And this present life is ever as a record of his love. For proof whereof, we should quail at every temptation and at every vexation that might befall us in this world, were it never so little, if God gave us not some cheering to mitigate his rigour withal. For he doth always show such event as may cause us to conceive that he mindeth not to handle us according to our deserts, but that in his chastising of us, he leaveth always room for his mercy, as he himself saith in Habakkuk. Not without cause, then, doth God promise prosperity in this life to such as obey their fathers and mothers. True it is that Moses meant the land of Canaan because he spake to the people of Israel, which were to be settled there. Therefore, as in respect of that people, it was a particular lesson. Yet notwithstanding, not even we at this day can set our foot in any place, but that we be, after a sort, harboured there by God. Therefore we must all of us hope for the blessing that was promised in old time to the Jews, of bringing them into the land that was behind them for their inheritance. A man might move other questions here, for we see some that are disobedient to their fathers and mothers, which notwithstanding do live still, and other some, which are of a good, gentle, and tractable nature, do die, so as God should seem to disannul the promise that he made in his law. The answer here too is this, that God doth them no wrong, whom he calleth out of this world, to take up to himself, neither doth he appear their state. But to the intent we may have an evidenter and easier answer, let us mark that things fall not always out alike, as in respect of temporal promises. As, for example, God promiseth to prosper all them that serve and love him in singleness of heart. And how falls this out? We see a number of poor believers, which are wretched to the worldward, and rejected and despised of all men. And where is this promise of God? As I said, we must always have this condition added, that God giveth us whatsoever he knoweth to be expedient for us. 
There are two sorts of God's promises, and we must mark well that. Some of God's promises belong to the salvation of our souls, as his receiving of us to mercy, his pardoning of our sins, his showing of us his will, his giving of us power to withstand Satan, and his strengthening of us against all temptations, by holding us up with strong hand, that we may never quail. In all these things we must firmly and steadfastly believe that God will perform whatsoever he saith, yea, and far more than our understanding can see or conceive. God then will surmount all our wit and capacity in things concerning the everlasting salvation of our souls. But there are other promises to pass this world withal for the easing of us in our miseries. In those God will cantle us out our morsels, so as we shall now and then have hunger and thirst with them. Yea, and yet doth not that impeach, but that he is faithful still. For, as I said, he knoweth what is meet for us, and therefore we must not take his promises precisely word for word in those cases. That is to say, we must not take them according to the bare letter or sound of them. To say that God should do all that is said there to the uttermost syllable. No, but we must always bear in mind that he knoweth what is for our behoof and benefit. Now then, if he take us soon out of this world, it is because he knoweth it to be for our welfare and salvation. And so ye see that God doth not falsify his promise when he taketh those away in the flower of their age, which have obeyed their fathers and mothers. Surely none doth so discharge himself, but that he should always be found faulty, if God listed to sift him with rigour. But yet shall some have done their duty in such wise as God liketh well of the obedience which they have yielded, and yet notwithstanding he faileth not to take them out of the world, for he seeth that it should not be for their profit to tarry there any longer. As for other reasons that are hid in him, and in his secret wisdom, it behoveth us to cast down our eyes at them, because we cannot attain unto them. Howbeit, let us understand that if there were no hope of a better life, those that are taken away so soon out of the world were to be greatly lamented. But seeing we know that this world is but a pilgrimage, and this life but a journeying to bring us to the rest of heaven, we must not complain when God delivereth us from the great number of miseries wherewith we be besieged here beneath, to take us up to a perfect happiness which waiteth for us above. But howsoever the case stand, let us bear in mind the thing that is said here, that is to wit, that when God holdeth us long time in this world, it is as a pledge of his fatherly love towards us. And therefore we ought to be the warier in reckoning the days that we live while we be in this life. And for the same cause also doth Moses say in his song, that it is great wisdom when men can skill to count their days and to consider the shortness of their life, that they may hie them apace to heaven. But... We must also count our days to a diverse end, and for another respect, which notwithstanding is not contrary, but both agree very well, and that is, that when we be come to the age of discretion, so as we know that God hath created us to be glorified by us in this world, we must, on the other side, consider how we have dishonoured him, and think continually upon the time past, remembering how we have spent it, and this we must do from day to day, and from mooneth to mooneth. And when we come to the year's end, let us think thus with ourselves. Behold, God hath bound me to him a great sort of ways, and how have I counted his benefits that I have received of him all my life long? Can my mind attain unto them? Alas, no, nor to the hundredth part of them. Therefore we must make a rehearsal of all our years and days that we may be put in mind to love and honour God, when we see how greatly we be bound unto him for his maintaining of us so long a time, and for his patientness towards us in bearing with us. 
for if we should make comparison of the faults that we shall have committed, there is not so little a fault which craveth not that we should be confounded at his hand, and yet notwithstanding he continueth still his goodness towards us. Therefore let us mark well this doctrine that is to wit, that this present life bindeth us to God, because he maketh us to taste his fatherly goodness in vouchsafing to maintain us well, and in extending his bounteousness towards us and in being so gracious as to turn all his corrections to our benefit and behoof, and moreover showeth us that he will have us to be inured in this world, to know him for our Father, in that he giveth us his word and sacraments, whereby he assureth us that his setting of us here beneath for a time is to draw and to gather us in the end to himself. Therefore, if we consider whereto we be called, and to what end we be created, namely to pass through this world, and to be taken into the heritage of heaven, we shall perceive that this present life is well worthy to be esteemed, if we consider the benefits that God imparteth to us here. It is to be noted here withal, that we shall never have any prosperity nor welfare in this world, except we be in God's favour. Therefore in saying, that thou mayest live long and farewell, he showeth that the having of long life is not all, but that it standeth us on hand to feel his blessing therewith. For the wretched unbelievers, which conceive not the thing that I intend to declare, that is to wit that God poureth out his riches upon us, to the intent we should know him to be our father, and be confirmed more and more in trusting to his goodness and love, may well come to great years. But what do they in this world? What is their life? It is certain that all that ever they have shall turn to their greater condemnation, and their riches wherein they joy, together with their delights and pleasures, shall but provoke God's wrath, and all the goods that they enjoy shall serve but to the further enhancing of their wickedness, and to make them the more damnable. Then is it but a wretched life if we can perceive no token of God's goodness in it. And moreover we must proceed further to the second point, which is, that such as are so disobedient to God and to their superiors have no rest, but have a worm that gnaweth their consciences, and are always in unquietness. To be short, experience showeth that there is no welfare in this present life except we be blessed of God. This diversity is not to be seen always as in respect of outward appearance, but yet do the faithful know well enough in themselves that God giveth them all things that they want. And so God promiseth not long life only, but also his blessing." as if he should say, You shall not live a lonely to linger here beneath, or to get yourselves grievous a damnation, or to repine and to gnash your teeth, and to torment yourselves with afflictions, miseries, and troubles, but to taste my goodness. Although I exempt you not from the troubles, cumbrances, and griefs of this world, yet shall you always have some cheering, so as ye may feel that I have not forgot you, but that I take you for my children, yea, and that all your sorrows and griefs shall turn to your benefit and welfare." whereas the devil laboureth to keep you from coming to me, and to turn you away from your perfect felicity, I will draw you to it by the means of the afflictions that you shall have in this world. The thing, therefore, which we have to bear in mind is that to be filled with the benefits which God bestoweth upon us in this world, and to live at ease, is not all that we have to desire, but to know that it is God that maketh us to prosper, and that, as he giveth us life, so will he maintain us in it, and provide us of all things expedient and needful for the same. Wherefore, let us have it well printed in our hearts.
Now then, if we be desirous to enjoy this promise of God, let every of us look to the discharging of his own duty. Indeed, I cannot as now go through with the things that are enjoined here to children and to fathers and mothers, and therefore I will reserve them to another time. Yet notwithstanding, for a short conclusion, let us understand that God allureth us to our duty by showing that he seeketh nothing else but our welfare and benefit, to the intent that we should, with a frank and free heart, receive the yoke that he layeth upon our shoulders." And although it be an irksome thing to be subject to those whom God hath appointed to be superiors over us, yet when we have first condemned ourselves for it, let us nevertheless yield to that which he saith and uttereth, assuring ourselves that he procureth our welfare, and would fain win us by gentleness, and not by rigour, and let that make us the more obedient. And also generally, forasmuch as we see that all superiorities are of God, let us understand that we cannot gainsay them, but we shall lift up ourselves against his majesty and bend our horns against him, and that contrarywise, if we bear subjection willingly, we may assure ourselves that it is an acceptable sacrifice unto him, and not doubt that our labor shall be lost in serving him. Not that God will recompense us by his promises, as though we had deserved aught at his hand, but he will do it of overplus. For, as I have declared already, we be bound to obey him in all things that he commandeth, neither must we think him beholden to us for it, nor think to bind him to us by any means, but that although we be bound to him, as we be wholly his, yet he of his overflowing goodness vouchsafeth to bless us, and to make us feel his favour, when we have awfully and reverently followed the things that he ordaineth in his word." That then is the recompense which we ought to hope for at God's hand, howbeit not as the papists say, Ho, God promiseth us, and therefore we deserve. They bear themselves on hand that God is beholden unto them, because he hath bound himself willingly. Yea, but that is of a free and undeserved goodness. Howbeit, we must not fall into such dotages, but understand that God, being no whit at all bound unto us, doth notwithstanding vouchsafe to win us by gentleness, to the intent we should serve him with the freer mind and cheerfuller courage. Thus doth he call us to him by all ways, and therefore so much the luder are we, if we bow not our necks willingly to give ourselves wholly unto him, without seeking of anything, but only to frame ourselves to his good pleasure and will, which is our chief rule, by renouncing all our own affections. Now let us fall down before the majesty of our good God, with acknowledgement of our faults, praying him to vouchsafe to bury them, and to wash us from them, for our Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and to govern us in such wise by his Holy Spirit, as we may be reformed to obey wholly his holy will, and to follow his commandments which he hath given us for a rule, and that therein we may show ourselves to be his true children, likewise as he hath vouchsafed to show himself our gentle and loving Father. And so let us all say, Almighty God, Heavenly Father, etc. End of Sermon 43